virtuous man to cross, but he never forgives, as one companion observed after a particularly difficult episode. For all those women who sat in the king's loose box, and the patient Princess Alexandra, or Alex, who stood by him for all those years and eventually became his queen, there were also victims. These included a lonely woman who died in exile, another confined to a madhouse, and a young widow who was willfully cast aside after falling pregnant. But he had no scruples in destroying those who betrayed or offended him. One wonders what the atmosphere must have been like in the loose box. Did it bristle with a spirit of competition, or by this stage in Bertie's life, was there a spirit of female solidarity in the harem? Every one of those women knew that Alexandra, the patient Danish princess who had been married to Bertie since 1863, was the queen in every sense. Not a woman there would have deluded herself that she could have displaced Alex. These were the days when royal mistresses were tolerated, even encouraged. It was practically a court rank in itself. Nowhere to the throne would have stepped aside to divorce and remarry, it would be more than thirty years before Edward VIII abdicated in order to marry the woman he loved. Bertie was king by divine right, and his marriage was sacrosanct, no matter how many dalliances and flirtations he indulged in. It was Alex, when Bertie died, who declared, but he loved me the best. For the ladies of the loose box, becoming Bertie's mistress, allowed them to revel in a little reflected glory before, inevitably, he lost interest and another woman took their place. Alex was a woman for whom the description long-suffering wife might have been invented. Alex endured Bertie's endless indiscretions from the earliest days of their marriage, when he went off to Paris while she was experiencing a difficult first pregnancy. As Bertie's indiscretions became common knowledge, Alex gained in popularity and adoration. The Princess of Wales floated through the ballroom like a vision from fairyland, noted one biographer. The county idolised her, so beautiful, so pure, so badly treated. In the public imagination she combined the appeal of Cinderella and Andromeda. Marvellously dressed, radiant, gracious, pouring forth smiles. Who could fault this paragon? The fact that Alex was called the Princess of Hearts makes it easy to draw comparisons with the late Princess Diana, but there was to be no divorce for Alex. She stayed with Bertie and took some consolation in a platonic romance with an adoring courtier, Oliver Montague. Meanwhile, Bertie, larger than life with king-sized appetites, conducted his liaisons against the glittering backdrop of London society, the continent, and the stately homes of England, where a strict code of honour insulated the nighttime corridor creepers from scandal. In Paris, Bertie was a regular at the Moulin Rouge Music Hall, where his nickname was Kingy, and the dancer La Goulou yelled to him from the stage, "'Oi, Wales, are you going to pay for my champagne?' Much of Bertie's behaviour seems born from boredom. Denied the throne, as Queen Victoria resolutely refused to abdicate, Bertie was stuck with the path in life that fate had dictated for him. He was faced with two options, to bow to convention or to live life by his own rules. And those rules were not so very different from those of other upper-class men in the late 19th century.
As Anita Leslie, author of Edwardians in Love, commented, it is hard to dislike Bertie. After all, he merely wanted to go to bed with a lot of women and took advantage of unparalleled opportunities. Would many men act differently have put in his place? As well as his affairs with society ladies, Bertie began frequenting brothels early in his marriage, and in defence of Bertie, brothel-going was common for a man of Bertie's class. During the Victorian period, when respectable women were not sexually available until marriage, and not much afterward, prostitutes were the ideal solution. Either that or priapic husbands took out their frustrations on the servants. Randolph Churchill once wrote to his wife Jenny, as friends of theirs were facing divorce proceedings after the husband had been caught dallying with the staff. Tell Mary from me that she is a fool not to forgive Billy. What does one occasional cook or housemaid matter?